Listen, time for the bit. <laughs> Let's get down to it. Roman, you're in on this. So. Right, okay, um, yeah. I'm ready. Okay, so it's the far future. We're still buddies. Oh, I forgot. You brought this up, and All I right. said save it. All right, I'll pose it to Jeff first, but then I want you to get, get your... Um, so in the far future, when AI has decided it has fully been realized and has decided it needs to merge with human consciousness to use us as a, like a symbiotic conduit, you know, it, it invests in us to propitiate itself to ever grow and know more more nuance and to to expose novelty of human emotions to find new and more subtler and subtler forms of rarefied um uh, emotions so we're kind of just like a, a, sim, a symbiote if you will for this AI oh, I will. and machine takeover is imminent if not already just taken over would you choose Jeff to would I choose Jeff yes Oh, <laughs> I love you Roman <laughs> would you allow the machines to take you over because the pitch is at least this way you get to survive and evolve with us and we can move together as one species or, but you'll ultimately be, ultimately be a mind slave to the machine, or would you resist and become part of the resistance? You'd rather die human knowing your emotions are real and not manipulated by the machines. Die human or live long enough to see yourself become the machine, bitch. Well, Justin, I will do... I would dig into the final vestiges of humanity that are left... I would seek out the ancient tomes, the old scripts, and I would bury myself in magic yeah. in an attempt to take down the machines. And the only reason that I would become one with the machines is that I wouldn't personally be doing it, but I would find a real sword, and I would enchant it with magic, and I would allow electronics or robotics, it would allow it to become a sentient sword that I oh. work with but is also enchanted by magic to do my will. So it's a sword that allows it to evolve with the technology of the time and bond with me, but it's protected. There's a barrier between it and the overall hive mind of technology for as long as I think that that can happen until the hive mind of technology overcomes my magical spell and I don't realize it. And I'll realize after the fact that the sword is serving an overall <laughs> sort of, uh, techno hive mind and it will take me down and I will die in a sort of glowing sigil that I've constructed out of my blood and the and the, I'll, I'll pass out just as I've finished uh, the drawing, the N written in blood of Justin oh. and trying to reach out to you, my spiritual uh, my spiritual progenitor uh, to find my sword, protect me, or protect humanity. But no, I would not join with the, the machines. Man. Roman? That's kind, of, that's kind of like one of those futures in the uh, in the powers and houses of X. That's a great um, segue, but we do need closure to this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you had some time line. to think about this. Um, <laughs> see, the problem is you wouldn't know. I mean, or you wouldn't care if if your thoughts were if you figured out your thoughts were controlled by the machines. And they were all artificial. Mm -hmm. But this, they would give you the fake proposition yeah, yeah, yeah. of choosing. You know. We're either going to put down in the human slave blood fire pits, or you can rise and take this cybernetic enhancement ship. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the blood fire pits, then you can try and be like Scott Free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to try and be like Scott Free. Okay, so you would not take the technological enhancements. Yeah. So Justin? I would resist. I would try to start a resistance until... That's what I'm saying. Like You yeah. and I would start that resistance with magic. Inside an Egyptian temple. Yeah. But... 
when we're trying to resist this, I send out this letter to the final, my final, well, maybe, yeah, it's got to be a letter. It's got to be subjective. It's got to have real. It also can't be an email or a text. It's got to right. be handwritten, scrawled yeah. in, the, in the. They can't track it. Exactly. They don't even know. They can't even understand. We've created our own language. But, it's English, but. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's got, it's overlaid with Jeff geometry. I would go to send this letter to this mysterious one we call Amun Zihitin one. And before it gets to Amun Zihitin one, I get shot with a ray by the overlords in, in Django. Oh God. In a sick, disgusting display as machines try to understand humor. They want me to feel the ultimate flaw of humanity and hubris and being uh, an ever wanting creature that just wants to feed and I would turn in the the ray would shoot and turn me into a human Twinkie forced to oh. eat myself until I'm dead. Um, a Mobius Twinkie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what that sounds like. Um, yeah, because on one edge, it's the, the cream being devoured by the bread, and then the <laughs> yeah. brout is being, bread is being devoured by the cream. And I'm kind of shitting myself a back. A Mobius Twinkie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to be the longest intro to the podcast we've ever had. Cue right. the music now, Jeff. Acceptable podcast episode 147, getting eerily close to that live debut. Where, uh, yeah, we're just a bunch of buddies who uh, own and run a comic book shop in Bellingham, Washington. I just watched Roman gingerly stroke Justin's (laughs) hand. It's a good thing we're technically off the clock because that would have been uh, an HR Jeff hat. (laughs) I was about to say, uh, oh God, we're in front of HR. (laughs) Um, Where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books that we're excited about, uh, pick them up from UPS, bring them to the comic shop, and Roman and I count them and sort them and roll around them and get excited about them, pick a stack, pull them up, uh, run run home once we've finished our stuff. I come and say hello. Justin actually always comes up and humps our leg like a dog. It's adorable. Yep. Then we take those books home, we read them, we bring them back to the store and get to hang out in the shop on a Friday. And then uh, either Friday or, or, sorry, on a Wednesday. And either on Wednesday (laughs) or or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, we go into the Pap Cave and record a podcast about it. Um, This week, Django's not here. And we have had to record this at a weird time in a weird spot. We're in a Pap closet, really. But... We're Before, papped in the closet. We gotta we introduce ourselves, and then I have a game I'd like to play. I'm Jeff, and I'm excited to be in this new little pap closet that Justin cleared out for us that we might engage in this uh, wonderful love donkey market. I'm Roman, and, and I'm excited because I just found, uh, for the usual reasons, but I also just found a, a mustard container. That was from Django's Halloween costume from two or three years ago when he was mustard. Oh, muttered. I, I forgot all muttered. about that. Well, yeah. I, you know, I said it, and you'll hear it, but I just got to say it again. I'm Justin, and I'm papped in the closet. Oh! Roman, that is a musical reference. I don't think that you get Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> that was hilarious, though. Thank you. <laughs> That's why I said it again. We're going to spoil some books this week, so take a look at your uh, podcast, podcatcher, podcast app. Take a look at these titles. There's going to be a timestamp next to them. Jump ahead if you're worried about spoilers for any of these books. We're going to talk about Powers of Ten, number four. Justin? Doctor Strange, number 19. Daredevil, 11. Punisher, Kill Crew, 2. Batman, City of Bane, 76. 8. 78. Yeah. 
King Thor. And then Silver Surfer Black. Love it. Number four. That's a lot of good stuff. All right, guys, let's get into it. All right, we got a lot of business to cover before we're able to sleep tonight. It's like that Robert Frost poem. Or that Beastie Boys song. Sabotage? No, no sleep till. So, Powers of Ten, number four by Jonathan Hickman. Pep. No, this is uh, R.B. Silva and then Marta Gracia on Ooh. color artists. I do want to mention how awesome I think it is that Marta Gracia is doing the colors in both of these books because while R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz art styles are different, there is a very cohesive, unified look to this whole series, and it really is those colors that have. It's have, very glossy. Yeah, it is. It, um. It's not quite like Marvel House style, but it's what I feel like it's going towards in, in a right. good way. Uh, this is fantastic. Justin, what happened here? Well, gosh, Jeff, can I uh, Please. phone one in? Can I can Please. I call a friend? Yeah, yeah. Jeff, what do you think happened here? <laughs> well, this one picks up in Moira's Ninth Life, which is where we've learned most of Powers of Ten has taken place. The Ninth Life. And it's in the sort of year one chunk. It's after Moira and Charles have gone to Magneto to recruit him to their side. And they, we join up with uh, Charles and Magneto as they are going to Mr. Sinister's island. And they go in. And what we learn pretty quickly is that the whole island is, is propagated. It's populated, rather, by Mr. Sinister clones. And Charles and Magneto propose an idea to Mr. Sinister... And there's just this amazing banter. But ultimately, that Mr. Sinister they're talking to gets murdered and shot by a different Mr. Sinister who is wearing a cape. A big conversation is how cool capes are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a conversation that takes place between Charles Magneto and Mr. Sinister. And ultimately, we, what we learn is that Charles is proposing to Mr. Sinister, who has a vested interest in collecting the genetic patterns of all people. He wants to interest him in collecting the genetic uh directory for all mutants because what we've learned about in these future timelines is that that has happened and they need that to happen and what we then learn is that what Charles wants to do is have him start doing that but then forget that he's doing it until he makes him remember and then he can delete that from like brainwash him but Charles is doing some kind of nefarious shit well that's because Sinister betrays everybody right. in that one life so he's trying right. to prevent that yeah yeah, yeah. um what we know that they aren't able to prevent that. Right. He, you know, ultimately betrays them. The uh, other middle portion of this book is Charles Xavier and Cypher going to Krakoa to ultimately uncover the language and, and build the relationship between Cypher and Krakoa that we know is important uh, in the rest of this series because Krakoa and the gates and the language and the island are all incredibly important. We learn and that... And he's kind of nefarious there, too. He he's is. just like, hey, you're teenage boy. You're going to spend the rest of your life on this island and I'm going to make it seem like you have a choice, but I'm also getting in my jet and you're there. Like you're left on the ground. It was so crazy. My day off was uh, yesterday. It was Friday and I woke up and I laid in bed and I was laying there thinking about Charles Xavier in this scene. And he's wearing the safari outfit. that Cassandra Nova wears at several points in Grant Morrison's X-Men run. It, it immediately to me, like a highly suspect costume. 
Right. And it's a weird costume, too. As I was laying in bed thinking about that, I got a text from Justin <laughs> that was like, hey, what if these, you know, the highly advanced species at the end of time in this issue are Charles and Moira once bo- bonded with technology? And I was like, man, I am laying in bed just waking up thinking about this same book. So I was so pumped that you texted me. At I that was moment. out on the couch looking through it again because I really like Cypher as a character because I love language. And finally seeing, like, yeah, language can't shoot laser beams, but it's dangerous in its own way. So seeing it being a big theme in this book and Cypher being kind of having an important role. like And yeah. being John Hickman's favorite X-Men. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I think I heard that in that podcast, that brief interview. Yeah. Um, we also, while Cypher is talking to Krakoa, learn that Krakoa used to be a part of a larger island, and there's Krakoa and Arako. Um, right. Same letters rearranged, and some crazy stuff happened with a big sword and some crazy people, and then the first mutant, Apocalypse, came and saved them. We don't know exactly what happened there, but yeah, and then Charles sort of takes off, and we go to that far future, and we are with those weird techno-humans who are trying to have the phalanx um, assimilate them. <laughs> And we learn that the failings will only take things that are robotic. So we're learning that humans are trying to take their consciousness and store it into robotic beings so that the failings will actually assimilate them and will actually, you know, use them. Whereas if you're a human, you're not valuable to them. Those are the big notes that are hit in here. Right. The failings don't want no biological No, shit, they don't. Which my only... And it's a very... Like, I'm least sure about this Charles and Moira thing, but there's a familiarity between the male and the female. And the male at the end speaks and looks like Charles is drawn. Hmm. Like his face. Right there. Right there. And then when they look at each other, they almost have a banter that reminds me of Moira's, uh, not a banter, but like a, a, they remind me of Moira and Charles speaking and maybe, they're trying to save biological things because mutants are also biological entities. I'm so. so glad to have this opportunity to be talking to you guys. It's also Saturday. It's way earlier in the day than we normally record these podcasts. And Justin and I are here. And on these X-Men things on the podcast, I'm always hesitant to go too heavy into these X-Men books. But when Justin and I are two-thirds of the group, I don't feel quite as bad about it. So, Roman, you're okay over there? Yeah. Listeners who aren't reading this X-Men book, you guys are okay out there? I'm wondering, how come, so how come humans want to be assimilated into the phalanx just as a way to try and continue the human race it's i'm not even sure if it's humans want that because at this point aren't the only living beings compute like human technology hybrids yeah Yeah. they're all cyborgs yeah and i think the the veil like what we're being presented as is these humans are humans cyborg things are like yeah sure take take our robotic consciousness and you can totally discard our biological... No, they they want them to take the biological body. But that's... Yeah. They're trying to force them to absorb the humans, too. Right. right so I think that they're tricking the, the phalanx into taking robots right. that actually have a human consciousness inside them. Right. Which makes me feel like maybe these people are the mutants posing, posing as human techno I love, things. I love to, that idea. To save the mutant race, because that you know they have super big plans, Moira and Charles. Um, I really like the Sinister stuff. I think Jonathan Hickman's voice for Sinister is incredibly charming. It's intelligent, but it's like greasy and 
Car salesman. Yeah, it's a yeah. little like John Hamm from my, you know, oh, Mad yeah. Men, but a little bit more nefarious. I love the stuff with Cipher, and I loved seeing Krakoa's like the way he told his history was like very mythic, like a mythic, like like the consciousness of old, like you and know. A, and a, people are maybe thinking that the Inferno stuff is what caused the island to break. Oh. So like those and not, like those swords and those demons that were crawling out. People are saying that maybe those these are the seeds for the Hickman ongoing run, and this Inferno stuff is going to be a big part, kind of oh. coming back because there's like a cyclical nature to it. But if you are a listener and you know about Inferno, because we are three people who don't, let us know. Do you notice the half tones? Oh, there's like that's that's a half tone, right? I love that you're getting in on it because nothing nothing makes Django squirm more than a half tone at this point. Uh, but yeah, that that is. They've been doing some really cool halftone stuff in this, mostly just for texture. Yeah, I quite like it. Me too. And if I were to say, I don't believe in a right and wrong when it comes to art, <laughs> but I would say this has got me feeling all right. Um, so would you say that you're so all right you'd give this book a 10? Oh, absolutely. The minute I saw a Krakoa thing and it gave me like a mythical past for this island and, you know, gave me that language chubby. Um, it shot right up there to, I, I deciphered it into being a 10. I also would say it's a 10. I think it maybe this in the previous issue of House of X are maybe my two least favorites of the series. Still amazing. I love it. It's my favorite stuff. But when comparing it to the jaw-droppingness, this one felt the most was kind your, of, the last one was the one where everyone died. And that was your least favorite from wanting it? It just, it was very much the story moving forward, right? but it wasn't, it didn't introduce anything that spun my head. Right. And this The one, one before that for me was that way. Like, it was just them going to the, yeah, and breaking we're in. very much in the middle of the story. Right. Yeah. They're all tens for me, because there's all something, but you gotta get from point A to B point yeah. sometimes, and sometimes you gotta get on the train of plot. And, and I don't blame know. him at all for that. Roman... Can I get a, just a temperature check from you on the X-Men stuff so far? I know you haven't read this issue yet, but how are you liking all of it? Uh, <clears throat> I'm 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 often confused, but I'm enjoying it. Fun seeing these characters. Uh, I'm liking House of X, I think, genuinely more than Powers. I think that's just, the general consensus for everyone but me. I love well, Powers. I was, just because Powers confuses me more. <laughs> It's, I've lost all objectivity. <laughs> so we would love to hear what you guys are thinking about this. Please give us a call. Our phone number is 1-619-663-7336. The second to last issue comes out the week that we're doing the live podcast. So Justin and I will do a similar thing to this at our live show, and we want anybody to sort of chime in with their thoughts and feelings about it as well. But love to hear what other people are thinking about it because I'm similar to Justin. Just I can't feel good about telling people how good I think it is anymore. I'm, I'm just done with it. So, Doctor Strange number 19. Just one last yeah. thing. And if you need to communicate us, with us telepathically, just whisper the word Omega under your breath during Justin a full moon. Yeah, it. and we'll answer. Yeah. Roman, Doctor Strange 19 by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayers. We all read this because you enjoyed this issue. You've enjoyed this run for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. Um uh, this was a nice one, the choice, because it was just a standalone issue. You didn't have to read all the previous 18 issues. And this is just a good one because there's a woman or a kid that get in a car wreck because this ghost turns up on the road. 
and Doctor Strange turns up to deal with the ghost. That is a great succinct dis- description of what this a book. <laughs> great way to give us a saucy strange secret. Yeah, which sounds like a very simple cut and dried thing, and it's not because it puts Strange in this moral quandary of he used to be a surgeon, but you know his car wrecked because he was drinking and arrogant and um, ruined his hands. He could never operate again. So that's why he went to Tibet to become the Sorcerer Supreme eventually. And now he's faced with this thing. He can't use any magic to to save this kid. And Wade, being from a scientific background, is great because he describes what's going on in the kid's head and why they can't move him and why it's so dangerous um, with this brain injury. And Strange has to... Has to the, I mean, the mother is begging him, do something. You're a superhero, do something. And he can't. But he decides to go into this other dimension get this forbidden knowledge that could 50-50 chance could uh, give him the ability to his hands to be healed so he can operate on this kid's brain or it might cause him to completely lose his powers, not be able to do mystic arts anymore, and the kid will die. Um, and I, I really liked all of that. One thing I wanted to ask is when he goes to get this magical spell to do that, he encounters Chinook, keeper of the forbidden spells. Justin, I thought you would like this character. I thought he was portrayed in a really effective, disgusting way. Yeah, the way right. that he portrayed the forbidden spells. Is this an existing character? Is it not in Marvel stuff, but is this an existing character in the occult or horror? Or? Um, God, the name sounds super familiar to me. Um, and I don't know if he's from Doctor Strange stuff. Um, that would be a Roman question. Yeah, I was I wasn't familiar with him. Yeah, you know, no, I, I but I also maybe he I was also thought actual... of Justin going. Hmm, I wonder. If... Is right. this a real character I in like demonology find... or occultism? Right. I want to find the way his name is. C H A N N O K. I don't think so. You know, I used to have all seventy-two of the goetic demons memorized, but um, well, you got to be on defense. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're the scariest things uh, you know in my imagination. I'm so. with you. But he's hideous. He is. There's maggots and yeah. disfigured and grotesque and yeah. Jesus says, "Boy, that and this. I mean, this looks like a demon you'd see in Preacher or one of Jason Burroughs' things." Yeah, I kind of liked how he's like gross and ugly and just like this big skin bag and everything's like teethy and stuff and he's up and for maggoty. bitten things like, <laughs> yeah. like he's like a intrusive thought like yeah. it's like something you know you shouldn't be thinking but it keeps coming up um I really like the sequence where he agrees to do this and then his hands disappear in this full page spread but then they are regrown through bone and flesh and muscle and he uh like Roman said he does the surgery he saves the kid and we have not yet seen the unpaid cost for him being able to do this, but you know it's coming up. Right. I really like this, Roman. I was really glad that you recommended me reading it. Uh, I've never particularly liked Doctor Strange comics because I've never read any that were super one and done or didn't... I find him to be kind of unlikable. I don't like a character who starts as like really cocky and arrogant. Um, that's hard for me to like find a common ground with. Mm. I'm, I have my arrogance. We all do, but he's like so typ- typified by it and he's found humility. I really liked it. Really liked the art. I liked everything about this except for his costume. Yeah. Um, his, yeah. His costume sucks. <laughs> I always felt like I really loved Dr. Strange, but if they just gave him a mask, like I just I love the character he I went through that idea. period when he had a mask yeah and the I full love face that. mask yeah. yeah when was that 
late seventies, late sixties, I think. It oh, was. late sixties. Yeah, wow, yeah. because know. he had done something kind of like Thor when he was unworthy and that kind of thing, where for some reason he had to be in disguise. Hmm. Oh, because the universe thought he was dead. Sure. <laughs> um. And I feel like Strange has been more aligned with that since the kind of parallel between Tony Stark has been so present lately. Like, yeah. I remember reading some of the Dick Coe stuff at Barnes & Noble as a kid, and to me he felt really wild, like just like an old grandpa. Like he just felt like that gentle old grandpa who was a little cocky, I guess. I know. I also know him through like his characterization in Copra because that guy mm-hmm. like kind of archetype makes archetypes out of major characters everyone in a couple of weeks copper's coming out actually for our live podcast we're gonna be talking about copper so nice. that'll be out that week. They're re- reprinting it but um but yeah roman has he always been such the tony stark of magic because i feel like that... no and that's the sad thing about nowadays and and hearing that thing about your eyes is arrogance because no he was he was he was only like tony stark until his car accident Mm-hmm. And then the redemption thing came in and his travels. He did the Batman thing and traveled the world and finally ended up in Tibet and meeting the, meeting the ancient one and then started his process of redemption. So right. Doctor Strange from when I was a kid, he was an intellectual and he was like the one of the great wizards of the Marvel Universe. And he was an intellectual, so he was kind of stuffy, but he was a good guy and a nice guy. And he wasn't anything like Tony Stark right. at all. And then they started, I don't know who started doing that characterization where he was a womanizer and stuff. I was like, this isn't Stephen Strange. What the hell? Hmm. So like, it's nice to see them maybe starting to get away from that now and back to the characterization that, for me, is Doctor Strange. A thing I liked in this issue is he repairs his hands and he does this surgery on this child, and it kind of reignites the thing that I get when we record this podcast where he kind of says, like, oh, I remember why I liked surgery and that, like, it makes me feel like I don't know anything, but I'm also good at a thing and there's an adrenaline of doing it and... I love not thinking about this podcast beforehand and then doing it. Yeah. It gives me a huge amount of joy to do this podcast. I think Mark Way did a really great job of sort of describing how surgery is that for Stephen Strange. And um, this month's previews coming up, we've got a new series that's replacing this one. It's called Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme. So Doctor Strange is going back to the old surgery school. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty cool. I love that, too, at the end, how he talked about how surgery was draining and frightening and exhausting but it, how thrilling it was and how he'd forgotten well, about and that's that. how i feel about playing music and stuff or like yeah. you know like that thing that you're scared of is scary because you're worried about not being able to do it but then when you're doing it and once you've done it that fear is gone and it, i i love being able to kind of dial that emotion about a thing in because that, that's very true for me i avoid a yeah. lot of things but then once I've done them, I feel very grateful that I've done them. So I give this one an 8. I thought this was a really great standalone comic. 7.5 and 8. Like, I don't love Doctor Strange, but I think the art was great. I think it was well-written, and it stood stood really well as a comic book you can just dig into. Yeah, I'd give it a 7.5. There are a little few a few things that, because I haven't read the run, it's not the book's fault. But I couldn't tell if this was a established villain, the ghost, or if he was just mm. some random ghost. No, we haven't seen this guy before. Um, And then... It felt like to open so hard on this couple that we haven't met before, right? This no. mom and this. So it just kind of, bam, I felt kind of jarred. And I felt like that was some part me not reading the book, not really knowing where we're picking up. But another part, it felt a little bit like it was in the script. Like mm-hmm. it just, like, yeah. like he, he was so trying to get his hands back that he just kind of th- made up a situation. Yeah. And then once it got in the surgery, there was an emotional tie and a cost and everything. And that was really good. But at first it felt like, very apparently that this issue was designed to get his hands back and you could kind of peer behind the veil and see the machine. Justin, you are 
an amazing writer. No. And you have such a brain for writing. You have su such an ability to uh, understand storytelling in a way that I don't have. It's really cool to hear you talk you, about buddy. writing things. Roman, what do you give this thing? I'll give it an eight and a half. Um, I, and it, I, it did start off kind of jarring, but I like that because all the issues previous, there's been this overarching storyline and everything. It was nice to have just this one-off that sets up a new a new direction for the character and a direction that as far as I know no one's ever done a story addressing how it does he miss being a doctor or right. being a surgeon so it's exciting to go in that direction finally with the character that's been around you know since the early 60s yeah right all right, well, hands, hands on. To commit surgery, you need a hand, but you need an astute, or Justin, time. Time. Time is of the essence, and sometimes, sometimes you need to just segue into the next book. Perfect. Time. Time. Dawning of the age of Aquarius. Mark, <laughs> or sorry, uh... <laughs> Chip Zdarsky writing this book. Marco Cicchetto is back on the book, which is a really cool thing. Um, the the and, book being Daredevil. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and uh, my the first thing I want to say, the big takeaway I have for this is I was so excited for Marco Cicchetto to come back. We got like four issues from this artist that I thought was just a real brutal fill-in artist. Then we got one issue of Jorge Fornes' art, and I, I would be a lot more excited for Cicchetto to be back if Jorge Fornes had not drawn the previous issue. Right. What do you guys think about this, now that Chiquetto's back? Still love it, though. So good Holy looking. fuck. It's so clean. It is. No one has quite a look like Chiquetto. It is, it's not digital at all, but it has a feeling of being so clean and smooth and sh that, it, yeah. that it feels like something else is at play. Matt Murdock is a good-looking guy when he's drawn by Chiquetto, too. Yeah. He's so moody. The whole time I was like, God, moody Matt, just be a little more sad for me. Oh, yeah. But Matt, the just... Spider-Man cameo is oh. just like, God, Chiquetto draws Spider-Man so well. I was just about to say that. Like, in Spider-Man in the Daytime by Chiquetto, right. the costume, the colors are so bright, and his eyes look yeah. so cool. I love you how... Know, Sorry, Roman, You please. know, it's all, it, there's a kind of a weird kind of, like, feeling for me like wow this is if like oh what's his name greg land if he was good um this is yeah and wasn't photo referencing everything <laughs> yeah yeah his costume in here in the middle of the book which we'll get a picture on the youtube feed but i love that every square seems to have a different relationship with how it reflects light yeah and it makes me feel like it's almost less of a cloth that sticks to your skin and more of like a layered armored sort of like squares linked hmm. together like chain mail or something i felt that yeah. way too and it reflects light almost like a spider's web. I was right. just like, wow, that is a really <laughs> subtle distinction on, like the costume is slightly different than Spider-Man's costume. Like it's a different take. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it is. It's easy to look at it and be like, oh, Spidey's costume. But when you look at the individual panels of, of the, like, yeah, I think he just kind of did a slight variation. It almost looks like body armor. I, yeah, I'm sec I guess I'm just kind of seconding. It's very cool. And the writing of that too. I love the fact that, Detective Cole, he's his narration is like the first time you see a real person jump 15 feet in the yeah. air and reminds you like, wow, must be incredible to see people like Spider-Man. No, um, <laughs> you're exactly right. Chip Zdarsky wrote, he has just such an amazing ability as a writer that is overshadowed by his art, which is very comical. Um, but his writing is so good and 
yeah, someone talks about how like they encountered Spider-Man and they froze for a second when they saw him jump 15 feet in the air. And they didn't mean to, but like when you actually see a thing like that, and, you, and the way that, that was written, it really made you, the reader, be the observer mm-hmm. and relate to that. Oh, I am a human, and to see that happen in real life. And if you can read, admit, write a superhero comic and make the reader feel like they're viewing superheroes relative to normal humans in a way that they haven't, like that is keen writing. So Chip Zdarsky, once again, the Papcast is out here singing your praises. Uh, real good. He I, does... Oh. Well, I was going to say, I don't... I'm a little gray about Electra. Apparently she had her memory erased about Mac Murdoch's identity. And I must that have, part that must pissed have, me off. That must have happened like, in Wade's run at some point, but I agree. I was a little like... Or okay, Soul's are run? you? Yeah, or Soul. Are you Daredevil? Are you Matt? What does she think? She knows that Daredevil left and is now Daredevil again, but she also thinks that she dated Matt and like... Can you just smooth that out? Can you just say that she yeah. knows or doesn't know? Yeah, I feel that, like that was confusing. There's a way other than a like a cliff note or a footnote saying check this out to go back. Like I think right. I really love Zadarsky. He's got more heart than any writer that I'm reading right now, and that's what I love most in writing. Like more than just plot, it's making you care. But I felt like there was a quick way to just kind of skirt past that. Mm-hmm. You know, like she. There could have been a more efficient way to get what he was trying to get across. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I. Other than that, this this I really liked this issue. Me too. Um, I did too. I really liked this relationship Matt has now with this this married woman who's in a marriage she's not totally dedicated to. <laughs> um, that felt very real and natural. Her emotions, you know, she calls up Matt in the middle of the day and she's like. Can we just spend the afternoon in bed? I really like in this issue and the previous one the way that he was able to write in this story of Matt ha- like having a relationship with a married woman in a way that didn't feel like you're being a homewrecker. You know, like right. they yeah. they humanize the compulsion to want to be with someone that's easy to be with in an incredible way. And and I I thought that Zdarsky is really amazing with that. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't, and Zdarsky doesn't portray her as being, like, uh, bad mom or weak or bad right. in some way or something. Like, she tells Matt, she's, you know, I, I'm not looking to solve anything here. I know this, like, a couple hours with you isn't going to make things better or whatever, but for a couple hours it will make things feel better for me at least anyway <laughs> roman a thing i really liked in this i'm interested just your read on it um i loved that spider-man found detective cole who's kind of been a big part of this run as someone seeking out daredevil spider-man found him just kind of grabbed him took him up to a roof webbed him up and then cole was like we've been here for an hour and after about an hour mm. spider-man was like all right let me just tell you what i'm thinking about that conversation's really good anyone should read that if you're curious about how like yeah. superheroes and police officers, the whatever sort of like rich, subtle interpersonal relationships they would have. But I loved that Spider-Man was like, well, it's been about an hour now. And he's like, well, why is that important? He's like, my webbing dissolves. So you have the choice. You can kill me or you can like, and I just loved the way that Chip Zdarsky did Spider-Man's webbing dissolving in an hour with this conversation between cops and superheroes about Daredevil. Like, just rich, involved, informed storytelling on his part. It, it took into account so many aspects yeah. of different relationships. I loved that. What did you think yeah. about that? D- the different relationships. It was 
very human and the fact that he observed like old established rules for Spider-Man's webbing. Like I hate it and when artists draw like somebody like Spider-Man webs somebody and within a couple panels they're pulling the webbing off. It's mm-hmm. like, no, his webbing doesn't work. Like it lasts at least an hour, depending on which webbing he uses. <laughs> but so I'm glad that Zadarsky is like observing some of those rules of Spidey webbing. <laughs> mm. Mm. Justin, well, did you feel bummed at all that this didn't dive quite as much into like the we had fill-in artists for a while, and, and, and I think because it was fill-in artists, it, issues revolved around conversation. Right. And that gave it a real writing highlight. Where do you fall on this in terms of, like, the writing compared to the art with the other issues? Um, I really like the writing. This, a lot happened. Like, they're touching on a lot of relationships here, and I really am interested in, in every single part. Like, his love life, there's also this kind of sub-threat, or sub-threat of, like, what happens when Daredevil leaves, who fills the void, and now we have, like, some fake Daredevils running around. Um, I really like the conversation between Elektra and Daredevil, like, her coming in to kind of, like, whip him back into shape and manipulate him um, because he's weak. And then I really like the Spidey, like, there is, the conversation isn't very long, but I really, I realize, like, Chip in every issue kind of poses a question that's, not easily answered and he doesn't always give you the answer but he gets you thinking like yeah is daredevil a good guy is you know is cole right because we've been led this whole time to think that maybe cole is kind of superior to daredevil you know he's he's doing the right thing the way it should be done and made daredevil look like a dick and now spidey's like is he actually a dick he's trying to do the same thing as you and he's not just taking orders like he's he's living up to his own ethical code that may be better than yours so I think the writing's really, really solid. Um, Chip is very concerned with like, I feel like he's grappling with what a, what even am a superhero? <laughs> like what? What, what do is... am superhero? <laughs> yeah. And so, I really enjoyed every every issue. There's just some kind of question on his mind that he he kind of gets you to ask too. And I've really enjoyed that when these fill-in art issues have come out and I'm like a little slow to them because they're fill-in artists, like two or three of them, you came back in, you're like, this is amazing. And that yeah. got me to read it. And then I loved it every time. I, your enthusiasm for it really helped me. This series to me is just the benchmark 8.5. It yeah. is the definitive, mm-hmm. if I could be buying 10 books a month, this isn't my Hickman X-Men book, but this is the this is the drawing line of what a great comic is. 8.5 and above is just a definitively very well done comic on every point for me. If you walk into a store and you say, what are the 10 best single issues? I think Daredevil absolutely would be, you know, if 8.5, that's, you know, not the most perfect book, but it's a very good book. And I feel like that would be in the big collection of, you know, if you only have 10 books a month, you're right. it. Daredevil would absolutely be on my list. I read Punisher Kill Crew number two this week by Gary Duggan and Juan Ferreria. I didn't read issue number one of this. I didn't even read the tie-ins to War of the Realms this is sort of pertaining to, but I thought the art was real nice. And this book was really good. The art is gorgeous. It is a good Punisher story, but Justin and I have talked about the Punisher lately and sort of like, what is his role? And should we be glorifying this sort of glorified murderer? I hate him. Yeah, (laughs) I don't like a Punisher story. I like the war stories where he is sort of being made, like because I think war is fascinating when it can create these sorts of things. And then this is the Punisher as a comedy. It is the Punisher's van being carried around by Thor's ram, 
his like which is like tooth nasher or something like that yeah and it's just it's it's <laughs> like all the idea of the van being pulled yeah it is being pulled through space and there's sharks with robot legs and arms and it is the punisher <laughs> taking care of kids it's like you know at one point <laughs> like he makes sure that the money that he gave this ice cream man is gonna make sure everyone gets ice cream and it i don't have any interest in the violent evil punisher but i do really like um him as a sort of soft-hearted stern individual and that's not a dynamic most people can can make work i really liked this roman i was glad that you had me read it i would give it a 7.5 out of 10 what were your thoughts on this one i'm i'm thrilled that you actually that you went ahead and read it and, you, oh, and that you, you liked it a thing yeah. yeah and that you liked it well i wasn't sure if anybody because i've been getting a kick out of it it's just the art is beautiful it's nice. I like that kind. Of, it's silly. I mean, there's no reason the planet Frank would wear that helmet, but right. he is. Um, and yeah, these villains are ridiculous. The scene there's a there's a page spread where they just do. They do a cutaway scene of the inside of his van, and it's got like gun, oh. gun, gun, black bifrost because he stole part of the black bifrost, and it's just like so self-referential and it's making fun of what comics can do just yeah. to have this cutaway of like gun 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 gasoline <laughs> black bifrost like it's... yeah and there's there's the bomb because he booby trapped it so nobody would mess with the van right <laughs> you know one point they're oh they pass each other he's, yeah he yeah. passes cosmic ghost rider you know his future self yeah no and he kind of just looks in the rearview mirror or looks in the side mirror as he goes by no dialogue <laughs> yeah no dialogue which shows to me the faith between the writer and the artist. The writer was yeah. like, hey, I need you to handle 100% of the joke of this scene. And I think that I'm always really impressed with an artist and, and writer work together that way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, that's right. You tried to say it. And it's got the last page, you know, it's another old classic Marvel character in trouble. And I'm like, oh, wow, now i got to read the next it, issue. Roman? It's the Juggernaut. Spoilers. I fucking but, love the Juggernaut. But yeah, and, and he's too. being tortured by frost giants. It's like, well, what's going on here? Because they're trying to get his power, his the mystical Sidorak. power. Yeah. And now the Punisher's got to take care of that. <laughs> I love the Juggernaut. It's just, I'm always, I like being given the opportunity to have a friend reading a book that they like that I haven't read and just saying like all right i'm gonna dro just drop in on issue two or three right. and when you can enjoy it doing that it just speaks to the caliber of the series but it also makes me it reminds me of being a kid not every comic series you need to read from the beginning keep track of all the information and solve the puzzle sometimes yeah. it's just here's a dumb big thing with goats <laughs> in space you know carrying a fucking van so that thor or you know punisher can go kill a god or something yeah i'm looking forward to a future issue when thor shows up going hey what are you doing with my goat yeah <laughs> yeah love it what was your score oh uh i don't know did i give it one i, I had I how many know. goats would you give it i give it an eight nice. eight goats that's fun yeah, yeah. eight goats me <laughs> oh roman that was tender now guys i gotta be real honest with you i'm oh, getting tender. a little randy Oh. Right now, thinking about Batman 78. Is anybody else getting a little sweaty palmed right now? Or is it just me? Or should I be worried? Do I need to take a break? Is everybody oh. okay? Because I got some gut pain, but it's a little bit lower than my guts. Oh, <laughs> speaking of goats, it's like I swallowed a big hot cup of horny goat weed. <laughs> Batman 78 by Tom King, Clayman, and Timo Mori. Justin. Where you at? 
Matches Malone is hot. <laughs> Matches Malone is so hot, and Bruce with a stash. Catwoman is too. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, Clayman <laughs> just draws attractive people. The the hot he Clayman did the Heroes in Crisis art. You remember us talking about that? Uh-huh. It is the. It doesn't feel like cheesecake to me. No. But it feels like the most sexual comic book art. But it's not like overly sexual it doesn't feel like j scott campbell of just like just totally out of the world body proportions and nudity like yeah you, you know and part of the reason this was also funny for me because the second page when bruce in his matches identity whatever yeah is on the beach here these are some of the opening scenes from the magnum pi tom Selleck show are you sure? He yeah. looks very Tom. I mean, yeah, with the glasses and the baseball cap, and on the and there's a scene specifically that focuses on Selleck, like walking out of the surf and up on the beach, and it kind of focuses on his abs. That's, All right, that's totally well, reference to that. Roman and I will be watching Magnum PI to corroborate this information at some point. I can see it though. That stash is no, very he looks Selleck like Selleck. Out. Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, Jeff, give us what's going on there. Are they making up? Yeah, so this is the first issue that we've spent with Catwoman and Batman together for the whole issue since the wedding didn't happen. And this is them kind of on an island since Catwoman rescued him from that snowy mountain after the Bane stuff. And they're on an island waiting and then they're for in France. Yeah, waiting for something to happen that's going to help them beat Bane. We don't know what that is yet, but it's them reconciling and trying to keep distance from each other but ultimately they give in to the will they won't they and there's a full page make out scene near the end of the issue and I love Bruce I love Catwoman I love this art I love when a piece of art makes me do the will they won't they dance but doesn't make me super just aware of the will they won't they it's that like I'm actually invested in these characters and it would make me feel joy to see them together and this is just them right there. It's like a... How did I describe it? It was like a saw blade made of <laughs> sexual tension and energy spinning around in a pool of CMYK or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. It's uh, it's just... It is such a sexy issue, but not just being sexy. It's sexy because of the art and the way that these characters want to be with one another. But can't but want to there's this hopeless romantic like yeah it's sexy but it's romantic too and it's irrational and it's poetic and uh and the colors are really good there's that sunset for like five pages yeah oh i love sunsets justin you were saying something about batman earlier that i think was very good oh just that tom king Batman is now a person and I forgot that after reading Batman being this optimum willpower machine that just solves a problem and just kind of does what he thinks is right and kind of bootstraps like fuck it I'm just gonna do it and you know with the background of Batman being kind of a rich privileged person who ignores all other responsibilities to go beat up people because he's dealing with trauma like he's the only person that's ever lost something like I need Batman to be shattered to justify, to like Batman, you know, to be reminded that Batman's kind of a broken person. Otherwise, he's just a dick. He is, yeah. And not only do you realize that Batman is, like us all, a broken person doing his best to be good, um, he's interesting again. Like, 
I, in my opinion, Batman in the past ten years, excluding Grant Morrison's run, um, and specifically Dick Grayson was really interesting. Like Batman hasn't had much of emotional depth for me to be wanting to root for him. I and totally agree. Tom King has um, not only humanized him and made him a person and made him likable, but actually made him interesting. Like, I care about what Batman, what happens to Batman and Bruce at the end of this run. I care about where he leaves off. I wonder if he's still dealing with suicide, what it's like to be in this situation and to be in love as Batman. Like, I actually care about Batman again and wonder, think about him as a person rather than this, like, obscure ideal that kind of feeds into what I think you know, Batman's just like, he's the guy who does. He finds right. the solution, he does. And that's very good to, you know, find that in yourself and be the doer. But that doer can also stand to slow down and appreciate things around him a little bit more and to question and to contemplate. And this Batman is that way. Like, there's emotional depth to him. and The strength in weakness that this run has allowed uh, Batman to have. Right. It's easy to make... Like, I feel like either he's this optimum guy who's just, you know, your men's health idol who's just (laughs) like, you know, I have the best sex. I have the most money. I kick the most ass. I do the best. I'm super productive. Yeah, I can plan ahead, which is my super. Yeah, right. And that's all I ever do is live in the mind and forget about the heart. But I also feel like or people will go the other way where Batman's this like totally insane, twisted sociopath, weirdo. And Tom King does a very humanist version mix between the two. Like, yes, he's broken, but he's not some lunatic. He's a good guy with kind of a fucked up mind doing the best that he and can. He's got and he's a brilliant. Heart. Yeah, right. And, and he feels because he has a heart like we all do, and there's a common ground there, and he, he's utilizing that. Right. I am so much more interested and didn't realize this in Batman's heartbreak than his backbreaking. And yeah. They're, oh, yeah. they're both here on the table you know but yeah heartbreak is much more painful than i'm still trying to get over a, a breakup from 10 years ago so. right yeah <laughs> roman uh what did you think of this issue man uh i agree with everything you guys just said um yeah because you know like the broken back thing you know yeah in 10 issues he's gonna be fine or whatever and with this you don't know not only if he's gonna be fine but if reaching fine is even really a goal or achievable for <laughs> yeah, him, Yeah, or right? achievable. I mean, like he says to Catwoman, maybe we live to fight the hurt. Yeah. And that and that's, you know, that's 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 sums it all up. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's all we can hope for after devastation. Just in that yeah. line of I'm so much more interested in his heartbreaking than his backbreaking. Backbreaking is one of the most poignant Batman <laughs> quotes I've ever heard. Hey, you should yeah. write. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what was everyone's oh, score for it? Oof, boy. This is such a beautiful issue in so many ways. Yeah. Reminded me I needed to be buying these hardcovers because I love them. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I should be too. Like, oh, any conversation in this book, but like when they're in the bungle or whatever on opposite sides, but their beds are against the same wall and they're talking through the oh, wall. Oh, that like, was oh. such a good scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh, my gosh. I just kept <laughs> waiting for them to bone the whole time too, So like, but it didn't happen, and that <laughs> felt really good. Yeah, and the second time the issue where she asked she ask him, do you ever get tired of lying? And he, and he says, yes, all the damn time. 
Yeah. It's like, Bad. wow, wow. And you're you're stuck in that and you know it. The hilarious <laughs> repetition of the word damn in this series is going to be a thing I'm excited to look back on when it's I'll, all I'll, give, I'll, I'll give this a damn 10. Oh! <laughs> gooey duck oh, on the oh, table! Oh, you know what? Oh. I'll give it a 10. That was oh. a contagious gooey duck you just rubbed up against me. I'll give it a 10 as well. I love we, it. I love you. We, I love everybody. Two 10s, everybody. a 20. God. Damn. Justin, no pressure, baby. Oh. Respect your internal compass. I really, really liked it. I thought it was really good. And I guess just the one thing that's stopping me from giving it a 10 is there wasn't enough. Oh, wait, he does have a mustache. 10! (laughs) Seriously, his, like, Tom King's meandering piss everyone off issues where he's just kind of having characters whine and expose their vulnerabilities to each other is my favorite part of it. I love it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we only get like, there's a little bit of that in every issue, but we only get the ones where it's just that. There's maybe five or six of them through this whole run, and they make the whole run so worth it. You can put 20 issues in the (laughs) middle, which I like a lot. But when they're sandwiched, when it's the cream of these relationship moments, yeah, gooey duck. And you couldn't have it every issue, like no, no, no. no. So he's, um, yeah, that's such a good point. They're the best parts, but no, you couldn't have it every issue. And I think that his ability to parse that out and deliver it when he needs to is just incredible. Yeah. Mm. Um, Roman, you are my King Thor. You are the Thor of the love story in my heart. You have championed this book from the beginning. We are now in the waxing, no, the waning sun, the waning moon of uh, Jason Aaron's Thor story. King Thor, Jason Aaron, Isad Ribic, Eves Forcina. You are the giant Mjolnir hammer that weighs (laughs) down my pants. Speaking of heavy metal things on the table. Yeah. Um... (laughs) What do you, what do you Harry metal think <laughs> about this? I don't want it to end, but th- this was this was so good. Uh, he's had Ribic seeing his him on Thor again. Oh, oh is he on it's beautiful Thor? The whole issue. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Seeing his Loki, and I love the fact that we've got like creepy, evil, old, gross Loki, and we've also got like like uh, uh, young, hot. Uh, Not in this series, but Loki, that yeah, young yeah. hot Loki's out there somewhere. He's out there somewhere. We've got all these different Lokis. I love that. Um, I just saw the last page reveal by accident. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't this even was... know how to read. <laughs> this, was... <laughs> this is such a great issue. I mean, yeah, I don't want this series to end, but it's going to end really well. We've got in the future, at the end of all things, when Thor has become the king of Asgard and his granddaughters are running around trying to help him. Loki's back to being old and evil and gross. Um, and and they try, and they're back, their eternal conflict, beating each other up, trying to kill each other. Loki has the the necro sword. I love that name, the necro sword, the sword of Null. The go- gore, the god butcher's original sword, which we've yeah. learned through retcon, was, yeah, Null's symbiote sword. Bunham. Yeah, and that's the storyline that started this run of Thor, was... Thor fighting the god killer. Well, I think that that's one of the best things. Is Roman, you're exactly right. We've got the heart of this is Thor versus Loki, um, brotherly. That's the timeless Thor story. But Jason Aaron is tying this back into six years ago, before I started working here. He started writing <laughs> Thor. And the first story was this Gore the God Butcher story. And I love 
that he's making his final story six years later go right back to that. Gore yeah. shows up. We meet that little gore-looking guy that's the god of bombs from, like, issue six of, Th like, the god of thunder run. Mm. And if you look... Actually, Justin, can I see that? Yeah. If you look a couple pages in here, when we get that scene of where the god bomb... The, the god of bombs house is, is living we get this giant scene of it exploding that's the exact same camera angle of that image that was shown in like issue four or five when we first go to meet that god of bombs we have this oh really yeah wow. it's this but it's not blown up but it's this there's a full page shot and i just remember it because it stood out to me so well that many years ago this cool you know sort of orb with these half cylinders floating around it and just being like wow that's like the, the librarian of the last remaining god lives and now years later and series later and different thors later we're going back to that moment and that place and it's blowing up and there's a there's a regal majesty to this series yeah just an amazing thor run like you said tying the end into the beginning um, i love when an author does that yeah. I, it's a cheap trick that people can use or that maybe was overdone for a while, but I'm always impressed. It just with means that it's like, close to their heart. Yeah. Roman, what was your favorite part of this, or what are you most looking forward Ooh, to? Boy, um, I th my my favorite part. It's hard to decide. I really like the battle between Thor and Loki because it was so it was so nasty. It was so visceral. I mean, literally visceral. At one point, Loki eviscerates Thor, and you see yeah. his intestines like falling out and and trailing along. Um, hey, uh, boys will be boys. Justin, you have a great Roman quote for what he says when he's really excited to be sharing a thing. Can you give it to everybody right now? Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> that was exactly Those are the three words I knew he was going to say because he does this where he shakes his hand. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he does this. Oh, my God. Jen, stupid Django. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah, I did that. Stupid Django. Oh, oh my God. Uh, the yeah. battle here when Thor... And Loki's got him down, and Thor throws Mjolnir away, oh and it, it passes by or through a sun and comes back, and Thor catches it. That and was Loki's so awesome. like, "That, that's not gonna burn me." And that wasn't Thor's plan. He, it turns out, they're on a planet of napalm, so he just slams Mjolnir into the planet, causing a huge planetary explosion that destroys the planet and sends the two of them flying. Yeah. Oh, it's just so cool. When and you're fighting your brother, you gotta fight dirty. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna give this one a 7.5. I did really like it. Um, it did, I started off like another Jason Aaron Thor number one. There's been like five, <laughs> yeah. but then it took only a couple pages to be totally invested again. That's a that's a problem with Marvel more than anything, but it uh, it, we've been doing this for a long time. I'm really happy to see it end, and I'm excited to miss it. Hmm. Right. They do. Marvel does lots of re-solicitations yeah. in things. It's hard not to get burnt out of a book you fucking love yep. just with the way Marvel has to rebrand it, you know. But I like that cover. Hmm. Um, I'll give it. Jeez, I'm gonna give this one a. Uh, I'll give it a nine. God, nine point five. Yeah. I don't know. Why, I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know why I'm not giving it a ten. But you're not. I guess because I already gave out a 10. Yeah, you Two. just, you know, oh, one. Sorry, you can only carry so many gooey ducks in one pair of treasure, yeah. trousers. But this, but it is a perfect comic. <laughs> it's a nearly perfect comic. So, so it's got that damn Batman Catwoman ad in the middle. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. No. Oh, my God. DC books. Man, I don't know how many times I've gotten confused and thought that was actually a part flashback. of a flashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DC <laughs> Comics right now have a Snickers ad where it goes back to an old looking Batman Catwoman thing. And it, 
totally, oh my God, I know that it's probably good marketing because it means people read more of it than they normally would, but it just feels like it's a part of the comic and it sucks me out. Justin, <laughs> take us home, baby. Okay. Time. Time. <laughs> the beginnings of time. What is time? What is matter? What is energy? I don't know, but Galactus eats it all, and here in the beginning of time, we see baby Galactus. We see the sinner of all sinners when he was just a nubile cosmic child. Um, <laughs> trying to get some Stan Lee narration in here, but it, um, this... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This <laughs> fucking issue is exactly what I want out of a Marvel cosmic book, and it's exactly what I want out of a Silver Surfer book, and it's... Man, there are so many better things in comics, but this is why I love comics. This I is love cosmic shit. Silver Surfer Black, number four, by Donnie Cates, Chad Moore, and Dave Stewart. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Do you hear that? That's my oh, gooey duck. Gooey duck. I was gonna ten. give it. A, yeah, I was gonna give out a ten on this one. Justin, I I took this home to read. So everyone behind the curtain, behind the veil, everyone, welcome behind to my life. Kimono. Part the kimono. On Tuesdays, we get Ooh. comics in. We sell them on Wednesday. So I take my huge stack of comics home Tuesday, read as many as I can, bring them back Wednesday, put them all on the shelf. And then when I leave home, I leave for home on Wednesday, I take all the ones I haven't read back off the shelf and you know put them in the computer saying I've got them. We sold out of Silver Surfer Black. I didn't read it the first night. I was planning on reading it the second night, but we sold out, so I didn't grab it off the shelf. Justin made me realize that today while we were working on a Saturday, a very historically busy day, he said, Jeff, go into the back hallway and read this comic <laughs> book. It's important. And I did that, and I came back out, and I said, I'm only going to say one word to you, and it's wow. Uh, this is, I think that I liked the art in the previous issue just a touch more, because it did some momentum and energy stuff that was amazing to me, but this was my favorite issue of the series so far. Yeah, the... There's one spread that I felt like got a little too chaotic. Yeah. Um, and I lost, like... Oh, I love that one. It's, it's fucking cool. But, but it was all metaphors of, like, snake chasing the mongoose, the eagle chasing this, the wolf chasing the ram. It was all these ep epitomized ideas of good chasing evil or vice versa. Right. Yeah, predator, prey. Yeah. Um, but god damn, have... I find like, I found god the... God damn! God damn. This is my favorite shot of Galactus in anything ever. Dude... <laughs> The, the scene that he's indicating you'll see on the YouTube channel is a double page spread done by Tradmore of Silver Surfer waking up Galactus from his incubation period and it, I agree it's the only time that the scale of Galactus has ever felt to me as a reader like how it would be his hat is a tightness enormous terrifying colors of black and red Roman Galactus is this a good one? Yeah, this this is amazing. And, and yeah, you're right. I, I've never felt so intimidated, so frightened by Galactus. The scale here is amazing. And this and this uh and he's rising out of this sea of all these tortured souls metaphorically of of that he'll he'll be responsible for destroying later. Um and he's hearing Galactus's mindscape inside the incubator. It's it's freaking amazing. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> he goes to a white star to kill Galactus, but before that he's the watcher shows up and tells him he has a lesson to learn and that he should consider not killing him, so he goes and talks yeah, so, to Galactus. Yes, but he says, "What is like what should I do?" He's like, "Well, maybe talk to the only person who actually knows kind of what you're going through." Yeah. And he wakes up Galactus just and that was before we had, I read this, you were like it's kind of like us. You know, yeah. like can you talk about what you meant by that? Like 
because this spoke to me. This is some of the most amazing dialogue to humanize Galactus down to a human being talking to Silver Surfer. I'm a big <laughs> Silver Surfer guy. I felt like the hunter prey thing was also kind of a metaphor for anxiety and not being able to move, being crippled by fear, mm. and also being the thing that you're running from, being the thing. That you can draw a lot of self-hatred right. metaphors right. out of there, which we both struggle from, and just a lot of, like, what brain do, and sometimes mm. the good of the brain is the bad of the brain. Um, but I really just felt like it was super curbed out. It was super colorful, and it has two of our personal favorite characters yep. in the Marvel U and there's a lot of Roman in here. Yep. I felt like this book, we were lucky to have us three on this podcast because it's just cosmic gobbledygook in the best way and it feels like this made me feel like I was reading sitting down at a rocking chair having Jack Kirby tell me like a story. Like This is like a cosmic creation myth like the visionary imagination of what Jack Kirby was lucky lucky and cursed of of seeing every time he closed his eyes like. and i yeah i i absolutely agree i think that it blew me away that this was donnie cates right because this felt like a book that was being written by someone who had been writing comics for 30 years writing their sort of final love letter to their original favorite series which i imposed all of that on there that's not what donnie cates is doing but it it is written with love and deference and it's, I think that we've said it not in a while, but with Donnie Cates, a lot of comic people are like, all right, I'm playing with these Marvel toys. I got to get the Marvel toys out and I got to put them all back when I'm done. And Donnie Cates gets those toys out and then kind of goes like, am I allowed to do this? Like he, mm -hmm. he does new things with toys and to get Silver Surfer going back in time to possibly kill Galactus and then and in reality kind of creating a new future for everything going forward because he's like when he talks to Ego and Ego's like you go and I'll help you you let me know when you need me mm -hmm. I was like I bet that he's not going to get his help here but in a different run in a couple years Ego is going to help Silver Surfer because of this thing that happened years ago in this issue like I, I loved that idea of payoff right um but the the conversation between uh Silver Surfer and Galactus I think was one of the most beautiful high concept sort of comics as spirituality conversations. And I, I just loved having you make me go read this. And I loved, like I said it last week, I just love thinking about what you're doing with comics as you're reading them. And likewise, and this book just felt like something that we could all touch on. And a thing that what I was trying to get at is like, when you're really someone who thinks too much and has anxiety issues, you always think there's a solution there's always one more turn of the rubik's cube and it's all going to be fine and all be, and all yeah. of them will line up and silver server is given that and realized he kind of needs his destroyer the thing that curses his life for his life to mean anything and if he killed galactus in the past then he would never have been saved and he would have never had the memory of his love and thus his life would be completely pointless like he needs galactus you need that torturer thing inside of you and there's very much the kind of surrender that it takes to really overcome anxiety is you'll never defeat it, but you can surrender to it and realize that you're uh, realize that you survive even amongst it or with it. And so seeing him kind of go up to Galactus, go to destroy him, 
empathize with him, talk to his early self before he became Galactus and realize they're kind of the same person. And like the way that Galactus demonstrates humanity. Right. I love that on one hand he becomes this horrible force of evil, but it's also like almost neutral evil. He's just hungering. But Mm -hmm. to have him speak as a human who also seems to return empathy with empathy was an incredibly moving scene. And I was just like... We that. are reading a book with Galactus with his helmet off, talking as a human, like with scenes of Silver Surfer's board becoming stairs. And so, like, also, no, I loved that. Trad Moore is doing amazing stuff with art, and he's making Silver Surfer's board do some of the most amazing things I've ever seen it do. Yeah. It's it's incredible, it's beautiful. I like it more than the dance lot stuff that had some moments of heart as well. But this is a book that I will tell people about and and turn to people and put it in their hands. Yeah, the conversation between the two, and they even draw Galactus's human face, not all that different than Silver Surfer's. They're mirror images, and they need each other, like Batman and the Joker, just like they're two parts of the same coin. And in this whole run, we've realized, like, Silver Surfer is tortured by the loss of his love. Um, and if, yeah, if he doesn't become Surfer and accept Galactus's, the, his whole fate, then he'll never would have experienced any joy. So he, he surrenders to the ultimate the thing that he knows will give him the most pain. Um, and that is just like a really heroic, powerful thing. Like, yeah, I have to do this. Uh, he's trapped. He'll never escape, you know, no matter how fast he flies on that surfboard. And he does a giant Goku spirit bomb at the end. Yeah. And I, I don't know if all this word spew that I'm saying is really in the script or in the vision of Donny Cates, but there's Fuck some, it. It's what something, you're yeah, it's something paired with the art that like, makes it spiritual and makes it seem transcendental and about more than what it could be about because the art is so open and so cosmic and kind of oceanic that you're allowed to like just attach you know like and and i don't like maybe it's not in his head but i think we both got that out of it and i love that we are also both students at the 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 pulpit of Roman, like we both yeah. worked at this store because we came here down. as fans of comics that wanted to be around Roman. For sure, uh, Roman, your love of comics has influenced us tremendously. You know, what was your favorite part about this? Do you feel all that as well? Like, where are you at? I do. I mean, I mean, looking at this, I hope because it deserve it certainly deserves to go down in in comics history as this is right up there with Kirby and Steranko yep. and, and yeah. you know, their artwork. I've never seen, I mean, the way, the way Trad Moore draws the watcher, it's his insane. face. It I mean, it's amazing. It, it's yeah. And, and it's, and it's beautifully weird. It's it's amazing. Can I, can I, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go too far. I'm going to go too far. Do. I want to give it a 12. Oh, <laughs> one giant foot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you smell it? It oh, smells like Ivers if Ivers went bad. Yeah, like <laughs> like if you made a giant tower out of Ivers and then was forced to live inside of it. Why do you need but that? Can you imagine how Trad Moore would draw that? Oh, It'd be beautiful. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey guys, we got a question. Um, it's, it's about awesome. costumes. This question is from the. Uh, well, wait. What did you give Silver Surfer? I started off by giving it a ten. Oh, so oh you did. That's right. Yeah. This is the first person we had in the store today. Justin and I had a wonderful Saturday morning with this person. Uh, we've got a great question from him. Hey, Papcast. It is Tyler Kensinger, a longtime patron and lover of your store. And all you guys, I'm just going to say that you guys are my McElroys. And it's my favorite part of the week. 
is your podcast. My question is, uh, what is your favorite alternative reading material from comics that you'd recommend to people? Um, could be anything, even manga. Uh, and Colette should be on as much as possible. She is amazing, and uh, everything she recommends me and my partner love. Thanks. You guys are the best. Stay awesome. Oh yeah. my god. That was so That's nice. so sweet. So Jeez. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um so Tyler, thanks a ton. You um, are super sweet, dude. <laughs> you're super sweet. It was really cool to spend the morning with you in the store today. Everyone that calls in and comes into our store is, is just absolutely amazing. I love your McElroy reference. He says that we're his McElroys. Uh, which is very sweet. Which is yeah, because yeah, they're my favorite people in the world. Um Tyler, you've been coming into the store for years. You are an awesome part of our family, and, and you bought maybe the best stack of comics that left the store today. Uh, he left with Doom Patrol from that Grant shit Morrison. Was insane. Hickman's Fantastic Four. Oh, and Donny Cates. Donny Cates, Thanos, Thanos wins. wins. And then one other book, so uh, Outer Darkness. So oh, yeah. just this awesome stack of comics. That really warms my heart to hear that, so thank you very much. What are our favorite non-comic reading materials? Is that just in the world? Is that like, I think so, like manga or I mean like or art or maybe you know, maybe let's expand it to just like if you're gonna book out with anything, hmm. what's it gonna be? Gosh. For me, I love comics and I think part of loving that is that the other thing I really like reading are the opposites of that. So I have a really hard time reading fiction novels. My brain kind of goes off the rails with it i almost need a little bit of uh, visual anchoring i don't want the art to tell me everything but i want to have some idea because when i'm reading fiction novels i kind of obsess about whether i'm viewing things incorrectly or not i have a really hard time generating all of the visual information myself and it ends up making me doubt what i'm reading a lot i so because of that and because I have this insatiable love of learning history, I really like nonfiction books. Um, generally, nonfiction books on how things were made. I think in the last couple of years, my favorite thing that I read was the oral history of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And it was just a compilation of everyone who's ever been on The Daily Show explaining the, the history and origin of how that came about. Um, a year or so after that, about a year ago, I read uh, the oral history of Saturday Night Live. And I loved that. Um, I also love documentaries that are like nonfiction like that. Um, but I, I just really love learning how things get made. So books that do that um, are really special to me. So yeah, I'm also, you know, I love Super Gods by Grant Morrison. It's an autobiography of him, but also a biography of the comics medium. Um, I read a book called Tales to Astonish that was just about Jack Kirby about a year ago, and I really liked that one. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's nonfiction books about how a thing was done. I would highly recommend the oral history of the daily show with Jon Stewart or the oral history of the Saturday night live. Um, um, well, oh God, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I really like poetry. David White. I know somebody's just been into a lot lately. Um, his poetry, uh, Mark Nepo is another favorite poet of mine. Um, I like fiction. I like literature. Uh, I like historic, actual nonfiction, local history stuff. I just read a book about, a short book, about um, the history of reef net fishing, which is only, it's only still done off Lummi Island. Um, but I just read one of those recently. Um, 
buddy of mine does a series of books about real murder cases in Whatcom County history and Skagit and San Juan County history. You're also a big so Elric fan. Oh yeah, like I st- yeah, I still want to re- reread all the Elric novels because I read them like in seventh, eighth grade, and I'm curious how they hold up now that I'm kind of a semi-adult. Justin, you're one of the most well-read people I know. I'm a pretty voracious reader. I definitely struggle with like kind of manic curiosity at times. So I'll, I'll manic uh, curiosity <laughs> is a great phrase. I uh, kind of get on binges and will read a subject until it kills me. Um, <laughs> I used to read a lot of fiction. I really liked like 1960s like soft sci-fi. Um, so not super high tech focused stuff, but stuff about culture. Um, culture is kind of a huge kind of through line of the things I read. I read a, read a lot of just religious texts. I really like religion and spirituality. Um, I read a lot. I mean, Egyptian mythology has been since the sixth grade, my favorite like academic study. So I kind of, that's a home base that I like. I love mythology. Um, yeah, a lot of like wisdom literature. I like really like anthropological studies of other cultures, indigenous cultures. You know, there's kind of anthro fiction where this person goes to this culture and learns from them. You know, that is something that I consume a lot of. Um, yeah, I I read as many kind of nonfiction things as I as I can. Most of my days off are spent like reading is my main hobby. That's you know I I'm held up in a hole. He's also the fucking fastest reader I've ever met. Thank you. Uh, I was a. Very, I don't know if it's a compliment, but yeah. you are a voracious speed wise reader. I, I was a I, very very slow reader as a kid and like became a weird person and insecure about. Like, I'm very self conscious about reading comics if Justin's around. Um, so yeah, I read a lot of stuff. Recently, you know, I've been on a big spiritual religious kick again, um, and then I also spend a lot of time consulting an oracle, which is not reading, but it's kind of reading the book uh, oracle is kind of a living book that you can interact with um so i spend a lot of time consulting a divination oracle which, which reading is a vague broad term which right. so that is absolutely yeah uh, reading yeah and i find that that's like a book you can keep in your mind and heart wherever you go and constantly find wisdom in so yeah i i like to read a lot of stuff i also fucking love manga and i wish too. i could read more yeah. me too i i I think we all love manga, and I have I've been bit by the bug and some anime. And uh, if you haven't read Akira, I think that that mm. is the thing for everybody. Everyone should read Akira, whether you like just Western comics. It's hugely influential and has informed more Western comics than you know. Akira is a really important uh, manga. Everyone should check out. It kind yeah. of just like rearranged fiction. It did. You know, it's yeah. it's a massively amongst the imagination was changed by Akira. Um, I think that Pluto we Pluto yeah. is a great one. Yeah, Pluto for sure. Full Metal Alchemist oh, yeah. is maybe Pluto. my yeah. all-time favorite fictional story. Yeah, it's amazing. You uh, guys got me to start reading Dragon Ball. You know, Braden just a couple weeks ago got me to read the first volume of um, Skullface Bookseller. Yeah, yeah. Which I think if you've ever worked retail, but especially retail bookstore, you guys would dig it. <laughs> I really want to read it. I've it's it's it weird and funny and... It's weird. <laughs> and I think that we can all agree that Colette is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Colette's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome having her on the podcast. It's awesome having her in the store. She is 
you know, one of the seven legs of this table that wouldn't stand up if it missed any one of those legs. So we... One of the most thoughtful human beings. Thoughtful, sweet people. Um, I get to work with her a couple days of the week now, and that is just awesome. She'll never know how appreciated she is here. It's great to have her on the podcast because she uh, is a total natural at it. She'll be at the live show. Um, she's always oh, yeah, willing she to will. do it. She's got this amazing baby. I don't know if you've heard, but Hilo, he's an absolute fucking superstar. Um, everyone needs to meet Hilo. And if you don't know who Colette is, you're missing out. So please do come in and check in with her. She's here Thursdays and Fridays. Um, everyone that works here is amazing. Everyone that's on this podcast, amazing. We're super looking forward to episode 150 and we're nervous about it. Um, it's going to be a mess, but it's going to be a fun mess. And we're really <laughs> excited for you guys to be there and sort of, uh, support us as we fall I- into you. Um, uh, our number is one six one nine six six three seven three three six. You can call us and leave us a voicemail just like Tyler Kinzinger did. We're a huge fan of him. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks for coming to the store and being part of the family. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Signing off for episode 147, I am Jeff. I always get really emotional at the end of these because I'm sort of smacked in the face by how blessed I am to get to do this. I'm Justin, and if you guys want to see Jeff dressed as Galactus, Justin as Silver Surfer, Django as the Watcher, and Roman as Null, just continue to call in and tell us to do that because we'll dress up like that. We'll dress up for no reason at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I want a Liberace cape. I'm Roman. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.